This is a production of the Z Talk Radio Network. The views expressed and opinions given by the individual hosts and their guests do not necessarily reflect those of Z Talk Radio, its affiliates, or sponsors. Wow. It's dark. Well, let's have some light on the subject. Put on your critical thinking caps and please refrain from hugging. It's time for Dimland Radio with your host, Jim Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons. Hello and welcome to Dimland Radio here on the ZTalk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. I'm your host, Jim Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons. Remember, I'm not really a doctor. I just play doctor online. And last week, when I was doing my three cool things at the end of the show, I had uh, mentioned a friend of mine, a fellow that I went to art school with, and he had recently posted some sketches he'd done. Uh, some f- distorted faces, kind of really kind of cool-looking stuff, it's, and really showing that the guy has some ability. I mean, just uh, even when, when I went to school with him, I was... I was in awe of his uh, ability. I thought I was, I was very impressed. And that got me thinking of the days of my days back in art school. And I thought I would, I thought I would indulge myself and bore you to tears about uh, some uh, uh, art school tales. Um, hopefully I'll, I won't bore you. But uh, I'm going to tell these stories on this show. Uh, it's not going to be all about this, but... Sit back, relax, have a listen, and hopefully I'll I'll keep your attention. Uh, when when I was in high school, uh, I was a pretty decent student. I got A's and B's. I did my work. I you know, tried to keep up in the classes as best I could. Uh, long about by by my senior year, half of my day was art classes. It was I had couple electives and I had a free hour that I ended up being uh, you know assistant to the art teacher so that I could devote half of my day to painting murals in the school uh, that's just kind of what I did kind of it's exactly what I did and uh, I took some academic classes you know math I took the hard math classes uh, cal- pre-calculus and calculus and Whatever leads up to those classes, I took the high end on that. History, I went for the media, middle level of history. Not the remedial stuff, but not the high end. I thought I'd just take the middle bit on that. And English class, whatever else I had to take. And and I did pretty well in all my classes, except for Fayed. Fayed was just, you know, <sighs> it's just not for me. One, one year I had all A's. I had five A's and one C. And what was the C? <laughs> That was Fayed. So I didn't count it. Anyway, so I was, academically, I was a good student. Paid attention, put in the work, studied, did the best I could. And when I got to art school, which is just the year after I graduated, or the next, the next fall after graduating high school, I went to this art school that was in St. Paul, Minnesota, a small school uh, called the School of Associated Arts. That's what it was called at the time. It changed its name to School of the Visual Arts, and then it changed its name again to the to College of the College of Visual Arts, and uh, you know it's the same school. But about was it three, four, five years ago now, it uh, it closed its doors. It just couldn't couldn't afford to keep open, even though the tuition had skyrocketed from when I went in the mid '80s. Uh, to the to when it closed down a few years ago, you know, when I was going there, I think the tuition was something like three grand, and when it closed down, the tuition I think was close to I don't know, it was eighteen or nineteen grand a year, something in that incredible range. Anyway, uh, that first year attending art school, I, I I did have to take one academic class. Now, I could have taken other classes if I had gone for a four-year degree. 
if I'd gone for my bachelor's degree. I'd look back on it now and then, I think, eh, I regret maybe I should have taken it for the four years to get, to get the bachelor's. But uh, at the time, I had had enough of doing the academic stuff, and I wanted to concentrate on just getting better at, at doing art. And the school was very commercial-minded in its, in its training. A lot of the uh, instructors were actual illustrators and, and designers in the field, earning their livings in the in you know in the commercial art field there were plenty of arty farty types there too and they were doing you know earning their livings doing that uh, as well but i think they would apply for grants to do art and that that they took that road try to get a patron of some sort and they were good artists every you know, they were experienced and and everything so well um <clears throat> since i didn't go for the four-year degree. I didn't have to take any academic classes other than my first year taking art history. Uh, art history was required and it was uh, three days a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I believe, hour and a half, beginning of the day. Okay, I started out feeling like, okay, I'm going to give my best effort at this and it was a little bit interesting right at the very beginning when when the teacher a woman named Elaine had started off with uh, cave paintings and I thought how cool that is that human beings were figuring out how to communicate with each other how to tell stories using pictures and and, and we and human beings are able to recognize these patterns these drawings of uh, of, of lines and colors as other people, as animals on the hunt, as, as plants, whatever they were drawing, they would understand those things because we have, we're pattern-seeking animals, we recognize patterns, and that's what makes that work. If we didn't recognize patterns, we wouldn't, drawings wouldn't work. They just, because we wouldn't understand what's going on there. An emoji works because we human beings can recognize patterns. Although if we couldn't, we would just see dots, circles, and curvy lines. We just, we wouldn't see it as a face. So, okay. And the thing is, Elaine probably had a wealth of knowledge. She probably knew the stuff that she was teaching, but she was possibly the worst teacher I've ever had. She was, her, her classes were just pure tedium. Just, ugh. She did not engage the students at all. Uh, so, I just started to do, you know, the, the cursory job. Just enough. Just enough. Because I was not, because it just was, it was bad. And what happened while this was going on. It's that I wasn't the only one thinking it was bad. Other students in the class were, were grumbling about it. Even those students that were really trying to make the effort. They were trying to meet her more than halfway. But she just, the way she would teach was at the beginning of the year we all came in with our textbook, our art history textbook that we were required to get. And that first day she assigned us to read this whatever section it was. And then we'd come back on Wednesday and she would read the section that we read at home and she'd show us some slides. And that was essentially what she did. There wasn't, she might put in an idea or two about what she thought of the art or something, but she just, just there was just nothing. I said, we, we read that. Why aren't you, why aren't we being more involved? It's just, it was just so tedious. And the uh, dean of students that started the year quit or was fired or something like that. He'd been with the school for a while, but apparently they parted ways. I don't know why, but they did. And so a new dean was brought in. This guy was named Bob. Now, Bob was all about the students. He came in. He was pretty gung-ho to get to know us, to get involved with our learning, and, and to get our feedback on what was going on. Now, I don't know if the school did this normally, but or if it was something that he instituted, but we all the students got these teacher evaluations questionnaires supposed to be anonymous you're not supposed to know what's going you know who was filling them out but i did fill mine out and and 
brought it back to Bob, went into his office, you know, hey, Jim. I said, hey, Bob, here's your, here's your thing. And I put it in, his, in the inbox or whatever or put it on his desk. And he said, okay, thanks. I'll check it out. And then I left. And then a day or two later, he comes up to me and he's talking about some points that I made about some of the teachers. I didn't turn to Bob and say, gee, Bob, I thought this was supposed to be anonymous. But anyway, I did not have glowing things to say about Elaine. Uh, hopefully I did say, I'm sure she knows the material, it's just that she just does not make it interesting at all. She sucks all the life out of it. She also had this tendency, and I might remember it being more often than it actually was, but she had this tendency to spend the first 10 or 15 minutes of each class, not each class, I'm sure it wasn't each class, but she would spend the first 10 or 15 minutes talking about women's rights and women's rights issues. Not that I'm against women's rights, but what does that have to do with art history? If you can connect it in somehow, fine. But otherwise, it didn't seem connected. It just seemed to be her, her thing to communicate to the class. Okay. So I I just really started to skate through there and just not, you know, not make much of an effort. Well, something happened when we got toward the end of the year. Now, as these evaluations were going in, you know, lots of students were being honest about it and giving giving Bob their honest assessment of the teachers and like I said, that even the students that were making an effort were giving her bad evaluations. So we weren't sure how much longer she was going to be there. Well, got through the entire year. We got to the final test of the year. And I did something that I've, I'd never done before. I overslept on the day I was supposed to take a test. I just, that's, that never had happened to me. And I had to take the city bus to school in those days. It was in St. Paul. I was living in St. Paul with my folks. But I still had to get to school. So I got on the bus and I got to school. Immediately went to to talk to Bob. Talk to the dean. Bob, I really screwed up here. I felt I overslept. I, I missed, We're supposed to be taking the finals today and I missed it. And he says, Elaine is still in the building. Go find her and see if she'll let you take the test now. And, and then he said this. Don't worry about it. That's uh, the best of my recollection. He said that to me. So I did find her. She was in there. She said, she, she, okay, come on and let's take it. And I went as quickly as I could, did the test. When the grades came out, I received the first D grade I've ever gotten, ever in school, ever. Never gotten a D before. I got one then. What if we found out was everybody passed that class. Everybody passed. The kids that did really well got good grades and all that. But you know, those of us that were just fed up with it and just we just couldn't, you know, it just was too much for us. Some of us. Even we passed. Now I might have done all you know, passed anyway with a D, but everybody passed. And the next year there was a new art teacher. And that new art teacher was also the new librarian for the school. The librarian they had that first year I was there. He, he was, uh, what was his name? Ed, I think. He was, uh, he, I think he was let go or he, or he quit, but he was gone. And so this new woman was brought in and she was, you know, she did both. Did the library, did the art history class. And I would do a lot of stuff in the library, researching that, and uh, something, and I'd sit and talk with the librarian, like I did with the guy the year before, and I would talk to her, and she, and I, I, th I think we might, I might have been talking about the previous year, I didn't have art history anymore, so I didn't really have to worry about it, uh, but it, we, I think I was talking to her about the previous teacher, and you know, how disappointed we as students were with her, and um, she said about her first lesson for the class, was to you know bring in your sketch pads and pencils and pens or whatever you use and without looking into your art history books without looking for any references from memory draw the Mona Lisa as accurately as you can do it from memory with paying particular particular attention to what is in the background of the Mona Lisa now you think about it without looking it up. Can you picture what's in the background of the Mona Lisa? I'm sure you could picture 
the 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 model you can see her uh, the, you know the, the look on her face you know you can see the the that enigmatic smile and you might even be able to picture the delicate hands crossed over each other on her lap but what's behind her is it just some dark color just to bring out the contrast of her skin or is it just something like that or or what is it well what's in the background is an actual landscape it's got a winding road that you see going through there there are trees there's a lake and there's a, there's a stone arch bridge in there um, and you can see directly behind you you can see the uh, the the guardrail <laughs> of a, of a balcony that she's sitting on perhaps or that, I don't know guardrail is the right word for it but you can see the the balcony uh, fence gate guardrail <laughs> I don't know what it's called that's what's in there and she tells me this and I just went why didn't I have you for our history that would have been so much more interesting because you're engaged a, a good teacher will engage you when I was in high school just started high school in 10th grade sophomore year had an ancient history class and we had this teacher Mr. Stafford I think his name was for just about two weeks because he was leaving teaching and going into something else but the school hadn't quite gotten a replacement yet or figured out where everybody was going so he agreed to stay on for a couple of weeks and get us going and what he did the first day was he handed each student a penny so we were already up one penny that's pretty good and back in 19, you know 1980 a penny I mean that's worth what like a million dollars now anyway so um, we each got a penny and he said imagine we are all archaeologists 2,000 years in the future and somewhere between 1980 and where we are now as archaeologists in the future somewhere in between all records of of, of of humanity from you know from sometime between 1980 and and 3080 all those records were lost and we're we found an old city or something and we start digging through it and we find a penny what can that penny tell us about the people that you know whose information we've lost what can it find? and so we all started to well they had metallurgy they had currency they had written language and they had certain grooming habits uh, the fellow the, the person on there is probably a leader of some sort and all these things we could find out and that was great i mean that's what a good teacher can do to get the class interested and and engaged but elaine couldn't do that elaine just made it difficult so part of what i did and it wasn't just me there were other people in there uh other students what we would do is we would doodle on the tabletop and i would uh, you know and 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 this was a tradition at the school because those tables were painted and the desks that were workbenches or drawing tables that were used as desks throughout the school were all painted this pale bluish green and the paint on there was very thick and so they had been you know each summer the janitor for the school which a guy that I became quite friendly with when I was at the school each summer he would he and his you know some helpers would paint all the desktops because we were doodling and paint would get splashed on it from art projects and and other kinds of ink and stuff they would get messed up but we would be doodling us we art students would be sitting there doodling and i was doing a series of doodles that would be could be somewhat disturbing i'll tell you more about them when i come back from this break uh let's see let's get it set up all right, there we are. Uh, you're listening to Dimland Radio on the ZTalk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. I'm your host, Jim, Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons. I'll be back with some more tales from my art school days and other stuff. I promise I'll have other stuff. You know, if I can maneuver into a tight parking spot at the mall, I'm pretty much sexually satisfied. And I've been to the mall twice today already. 
You're listening to Z-Talk Radio Network. Grandpa, look what I got. Wait till you see the bike we got for Jake. It is the coolest thing. Hearing loss happens gradually with age, making it easy to ignore. Yet most older Americans aren't getting their hearing tested. Dad, can you hear me? Untreated hearing loss can keep your loved ones from enjoying what they cherish most. Don't let that happen. Speak up about hearing loss. You'll be glad you did. Brought to you by the American Speech Language Hearing Association. Oh, Lord, honey, can somebody tell me what my future holds? Hey, man, you think I can get a reading? Wrong answer. It's time for Dimland Radio with your host, Dr. Dim, Jim Fitzsimmons, only on Z Talk Radio. Do you believe in ghosts? Do you think Bigfoot is real? Do you suspect that your neighbor is really Val Tor, leader of the lizard people of Bendar 3? Well, Dr. Dim doesn't, and he'll tell you why when you tune in to Dimland Radio Saturday nights, 11 Central, midnight Eastern, on Talk Radio Network. It's an hour of science promotion, pop culture rants, personal observation, and, of course, skepticism. Join Jim, Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons, Saturday nights, 11 Central, midnight Eastern, for Dimland Radio on Talk Radio Network. Hey, want to hear the most annoying sound in the world? You're listening to Z-Talk Radio Network. And welcome back to Dimland Radio here on the ZTalk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. I'm your host, Jim, Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons. Okay, so I would do these doodles on the tables. Now, I wasn't the only one. We'd be sitting in the art history class. There was these long tables that we were at. And I would sit with the same group of guys. And we'd be, you know, sometimes one person would start drawing something and then another student would start adding to that. We'd do stuff like that. And... You know, we were, most of us were, you know, out of high school, and so we're, what, 18 or 19 years old, and we, some penises and phallic symbols worked their way into some of the doodles, not all of them, maybe not many, but just, you know, there were a couple few that worked their way in, and I started doing these very violent uh, drawings, uh, drawings of you know people having been cut up, uh, hurt in some way, <laughs> human shish kebab. I drew something like that. I drew a, a one with a guy getting hit in the back of the head with a with a battle axe, and I would I took the drawing with a permanent marker, black and red, so lots of blood, lots of <laughs> I would do this stuff, and you know, and then I would do other kind of weird stuff, but. I would do these things, and and it's interesting, but no one at the school said anything about, uh, you know, hey guys, stop defacing the property, because as I said, it was it was traditional every summer, paint the tabletops, paint the drawing tables, because these students would be doodling on them. I know what you're thinking. Didn't you guys have sketchbooks? Why didn't you doodle in your sketchbooks? That's an excellent question. I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know why we would do it on the tables. I don't know. I think we did in the sketchbooks as well. Okay, well, somewhere along that year, our design class, which was led by, uh, taught by a fellow named Philip, Philip um, you know, took us out to the Minneapolis Institute of Art to see a German Expressionist exhibit. So there's a bunch of artists in the German Expressionist movement, which is... If, if you don't know what that is, it's it's some very stark images, very... They can be violent, but they can be disturbing, uh, uh, very graphic in their in their nature, uh, very, very... Uh, just, just, they can be disturbing. The stuff could just be... put you on edge looking at it. And, and it just had a certain feel and look to it. And we went out there, and 
I'm going through and I'm looking at stuff and and I had more than one fellow student come back and say to me, "Have you seen the stuff by Otto Dix?" O T T O D I X, Otto Dix. And I said, "No, uh, not yet." And they said, "You should check it out because you know the stuff that you're doing on the tabletops and that those doodles you're doing, it's you know it's you're you're kind of doing what he does. It's it's very similar." I said, "Oh, cool! I'll have to check it out, right?" And then I'm still heading through. Still haven't seen any of the Otto Dix stuff. And my teacher comes over. Philip walks over to me, and says, "Jim." Have you seen any of the stuff by Otto Dix yet? And I said, no, but I've heard about it. Other people have been telling me about it. He says, yeah, it's, uh, he said stuff that, uh, that you're doing on the tabletops. Very similar to what he's doing. It's, you should check it out. I said, I will. And I did. And, yeah, I could see what they were saying. Some of his stuff, so he did said these war um, uh, uh, illustrations or paintings or pieces of art. And very, you know, black and white, very stark, very, very, you know, very graphic and, 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 I don't know, disturbing types of things. And I saw it, and of course I liked it. And I thought, wow, that's kind of cool. And, uh, you know, so, okay, all right, now, all right, I'm going to take these couple of things. Oh, oh, before I get, before I get to there. You know, remember that Bob had come into the school, the dean had come into the school and had gotten these evaluations from all these students. And he was on the student's side, and he tried to engage us in conversations all the time, and he talked with me uh, frequently. And uh, so, you know, everybody passed that art history class because Elaine just wasn't a good teacher. And I, and I want to stress that she, she was probably very knowledgeable. She probably had all that information up there, but she just couldn't relay it to us in a way that would have us interested. The people who did well in her class really had to work at it. You know, they really had to put some effort into it. And I just, at that point, I wasn't ready to. Okay, so the doodles. I'm going to take these two aspects here. Elaine, the art history teacher, well, these several aspects. Elaine, Bob, the dean, Phil, the, the design teacher, uh, doodling on the, on the desks, and I'll put that all together. I'm going to mesh these things all together in one little story. As I said, uh, the penises and phallic symbols work their way into this artwork. Not, not lots of them, but just, you know, they were there. But one day... I was uh, doing a, I guess, a stream of consciousness kind of doodle, where I just start making a shape. I just start drawing a shape, and then I add to it, and I see where it goes. And generally, I draw people. Uh, I don't know if it was inspired by a, a, a shape on the table, you know, all that paint on there. Uh, oh, incidentally, um, after my first year, when I got back the second year, the janitor said to me, "Hey." You know that one the drawing you did up in that one room and that one to the desk? I think it was that one with the guy getting hit in the head with the axe. Remember that one? I said, yeah. He said, it took seven coats of paint to cover that. He was proud of that. He thought that was great. I said, really? He said, seven coats. I said, oh, well, sorry. He says, no, no, that was great. So I, just to reiterate that, that I wasn't, nobody at the school was saying, guys, Stop drawing on the tables. You know, we weren't drawing on walls. We weren't drawing on woodwork or anything like that. It was just, you know, these tables were painted over and over and over. So we figured, okay. And we were never told not to do it. And in fact, the janitor was complimenting me on how permanent I had made one of them. <laughs> anyway, so there I am sitting there and I'm following the shape that's on the table or something and I and it and it and it ends up being a drawing of a woman a female form she is uh, on her haunches legs are spread a little bit now she's not naked she was in a leotard or something like that I drew you know didn't draw her naked 
and it's she's in a limbo position you know how low can you go and we're looking at her up from from her knees so we can see the tops of her knees and we can see her thighs and you know the crotch shot and you can see up to her belly and the underside of her boobs and the underside of her chin as she's leaning all the way back and i have her saying something like jazzercise or aerobicize or something like that just put a little word balloon there and i just left it and let's say i did that that on that drawing on a Monday. This is in the art history class on the table. I'd, let's say I did it on Monday. Wednesday, uh, when the class came to an end, Elaine didn't give me a note saying, see me after class, or she didn't come up to me and say, hey, see me after class. She didn't do anything like that. Come to my office. Nope, no. She, after class, we're leaving the classroom, we're in the common areas, Right there, students walking by. She comes up to me and she says, you know, some of the uh, uh, the women students have been saying that they're very disturbed by and uncomfortable by the things that you're drawing on the tables. Now, I can't say for sure that it was the drawing of the woman because I had drawn mainly male figures. <laughs> you know, the violent stuff was always happening to males. I, didn't, I don't think I drew anything happened to a female. And, and so the one time I draw a female, I draw a woman, and you know, in a in a cheesecakey position, still clothed, the one time I get this, you know, you're making the women uncomfortable, uh, you know, and that may be true that I was, and nobody had said anything to me, but that doesn't mean that I wasn't. And so when she tells me that, I went, oh, okay, you know, whatever, you know, I kind of you know, didn't fight back or anything at the time. But I did stop doodling on the desks after that, I think, uh, at least in her class. And I think I went to putting them into the sketchbook, which probably should have been doing in the first place. But it got to me because this happened, this dressing down that I got. And again, it wasn't because I was defacing school property that I was being told. It was just, it was the content of my doodle that was a problem. And I, um, this was after seeing the Otto Dick stuff, the German Expressionist stuff. This happened after that. So I'm starting to get a little worked up about it. So I sat down and I wrote up a little response you know, to the situation. Essentially saying, gee whiz, you know, uh, I, we're brought to a, an art exhibit in the Institute, the Minneapolis Institute of Art, where I'm my work is being compared to an artist that's being exhibited, and yet in an art school, I'm being told that this is somehow wrong. Yeah, I don't know if I made the point of this. You could take one of these tables to the institute and set it up there, and it's going to be art there. But here, it's not. And I, I, I think I made points along those lines. And I posted it to the bulletin board in the, uh, in the student lounge area, in the, down in the common areas downstairs. Just right next to the vending machine, just popped it up there, and it just left it there. And a couple days later, Bob, the dean, comes up to me, and he says, Hey, I, uh, I read that thing that you wrote to put up on the board. And I'm wondering where he's going to go now. <laughs> and he said, I really liked it. And then he offered, he says, he was trying to get a newsletter together for the school, and he was wondering if I'd be interested in writing for it. And I, I said, sure, I guess. And uh, um, it never did come to fruition. Uh, it's too busy to get the thing, something together. I don't know whatever happened. But uh, that was an, you know, I, I wasn't going to get in trouble. I did stop the doodling. As far as, you know, at least in her class, I did stop that. Uh, and now that I look back on it, I look back at my 19-year-old self as a 53-year-old, and I think, well... You're kind of learning there that um, sometimes it's the context that affects the content, uh, how the content is looked at. In an art museum, obviously, in an art museum, it's given more of a uh, uh, the proper context. And in a school, you know, somebody would use that table later and have to sit there and look at the stuff that I'm drawing on them. Yeah. Okay. By my second year, I think the doodling stopped or. It was was different, but yeah, it just it was um, I, I it just I could just Elaine 
you know, she wasn't upset that I was defacing property, just that my drawings were making some of the women uncomfortable. I wish I would have said, what, you mean the penises or just the one female form that I drew? Which is, which is bothering people. <sighs> well, I hope you... But that's something that came back to mind of my days in art school. Uh, let's see. I have... What have I got else here? I've got... Oh, right. Right. Oh, I've got one of these. Oh, what am I arguing about? Apparently, I'm not the only one that has a problem with this. I'm not. Uh, have you seen the TV ad? I know. Who watches ads? I do. Have you seen the ad for, uh, for the iPad Pro with the operating system 11 or something like that? And it's a... It's, uh, it, the ad follows this girl that's about what, fourteen? Follows her around as she's she chats online with a friend. She does designs on her iPad. She's she's just you know tooling around, a real independent spirit, a real you know you know just just her and her iPad and working away on things and playing and having a great time. And the ad wraps up with her in her backyard, I'm assuming it's her backyard, lying on the grass and just working away on her iPad. And her next-door neighbor, a middle-aged woman, comes out, very nice lady, says, Hey, wh what you working on on your computer? And what does she say? The little girl says, What's a computer? What's a computer? What do you think I mean? I mean... <laughs> <laughs> that thing you're working on, the thing, that iPad. Did you, did you did you think I was talking about the grass? What the? What do you mean, you little shit? What computer? Really, seriously? Do you think that a 14 year old is not going to know what a computer is? Oh, this ad, this ad. You know, and it sneaks up on you too. It does. It's for the first few times that I saw it, I kept forgetting that it would end with that girl saying, "I think I'm being there." <laughs> and I and I don't want to take it out on 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 the girl because she's just an actor just trying to you know break into the field of acting I guess uh, you know it's not her fault that Apple are assholes and come up with this ad it's just like because I I don't even know what they're trying to do it's like call it an iPad now and don't call it a computer because it's a computer. That's what that is. Your phone has a computer in it. Your, 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 the tablet is a computer. Your laptop's a computer. Your desktop's a computer. They're computers. That's what they are. Oh, God, that drove me just... And, and then I go online and I make mention of it in Facebook and a few of my Facebook friends were in total agreement. And I looked it up to find the ad, and I'll see if I can link to it in the show notes so you can check it out. <laughs> Go to dimland.blogspot.com, and you'll get to the show notes. Uh, or you can just go to dimland.com and click click on the blog option, and uh, you know, and you'll see. And I'll try to get a link to it so that you can be as infuriated <laughs> by this ad as apparently other people on the internet are, because it, there was a lot of complaints about that. Because what the hell did you think she... I mean, is, is a kid that dense or that much of an asshole that she couldn't figure out what this nice neighbor lady was talking about? Are you that dumb? Are you... you, you, you what you know? Like I said, would you think I was referring to the grass that you're lying on? What, what, what are you working on? What is... You know, don't you know that's a computer? <laughs> uh, okay. It's... It's... it's uh, it's just those things. It gets it gets under your skin, and it just makes you want to go. Uh, let's do it again. Uh, it does, and that feels so good to do that. Uh, what also feels good is taking my second break. You're listening to Dimland Radio on the ZTalk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. I'm your host, Jim Doctor Dim Fitzsimmons. I shall return after this break with some other stuff not related to art school. How about that, huh? Hey! 
Hi, this is Pete Townsend of The Who. I just want to say that the United States Air Force is a great place to be, a great place to learn a space-age skill and serve your country too. The aerospace team, that's where all the breakthroughs are. See your United States Air Force recruiter. Find out how you too can fly the skies, reach for the moon, and touch the stars in the United States Air Force. When, oh when, will someone design an exploding head emoticon? Please, someone, anyone. You're listening to Dimland Radio on Z-Talk Radio Network. Your assignment is to listen to the buzz on Monday nights from 8 to 10 p.m. Central on ztalkradio.com. This message will self-destruct. Station identification. You're listening to Z-Talk Radio Network. Operating frequency on ztalkradio.com. To Dimland Radio here on the Z Talk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. I'm your host, Jim Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons. Uh, on Facebook today, I saw uh, somebody had posted a list of 10 things that this person said. Uh, the way he put it was uh, 10 things I know is true. <laughs> That's 10 things you know are true. I'll just call it a typo. All right. I, didn't, I, I, I didn't correct him on it. But I thought, and this list is done by somebody who I'm sure who is a skeptic and and an atheist. Uh, it just you know seem they're they're more of, of a typical friend of mine on Facebook. I don't know this person, uh, but saw this post, and I thought I'd go through the ten and give my take on these. What do you think? You think you can sit through that? Okay, number one. This, these are the ten things that this fellow, uh, he knows, are true. Number one, evolution is a fact. Uh, yep, it is. Now, don't give me this. It's just a theory. Gravity is just a theory. And theory in science means a little different than what, how it's used in popular usage of the word. It's, it's more than, uh, you know, it's more than I have an idea who done it. It's 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 very strong. It's a it's a hypothesis that has been brought up to the level of theory because it has been very uh, well uh, uh, backed up by evidence, evidence you know, that supports it, uh, and any evidence that might falsify it didn't doesn't work, doesn't happen. So it's 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 a it's a and evolution is a fact. Living things evolve over time. They evolve. Uh, you know, even before Charles Darwin came out with his book on the origin of species, even before that, the the, the science community had accepted the idea that they accepted the fact that living things evolve. They just weren't sure what was the driving mechanism. And that's that was Darwin's uh, contribution. He he realized it was natural selection. Um, you know, mut random mutations of genes that nature would select those that worked to help uh, the, the the living thing uh, survive, uh, uh, help it reproduce better than others, and so that it could send that gene through to the next generation. And over time, these mutations that were selected, that worked, that helped, were passed along. Uh, most mutations didn't do anything. Some were bad, 
and if they were bad, they would end end up killing, uh, probably killing these species. But if they worked for them and helped, uh, that would be passed along, and eventually enough ch enough mutations happen where the species change. That's just my thumbnail explanation of it. But yeah, it's a fact. It just so yeah, I agree with them there. I think that's true. Uh, number two, global warming is a fact. Yep, it is. You know, our measurements are showing that the, the globe is warming. Temperatures are warming. The atmosphere is warming. Now, people will refute uh, it's, it's that, it, that, it's, that it is down to human beings causing it, and it, it is. Uh, I accept that, the, the science that says that, that we are to blame for it because uh, because we are. <laughs> uh, I'll link to a video by Brian Dunning called In Fact. He does this series called In Fact, where he gives two proofs, not speculations, not models, not theory, not hypotheses or whatever, not not that. Two proofs that you know, one that shows that CO2 has increased in the atmosphere. And that has led to less uh, heat radiating off the planet back out into space. It comes from the sun, and and then it, you know some of it radiates, some of it bounces back out into space, and that helps create a balance between the heat coming in and the heat leaving, which keeps us at a certain temperature range. Well, the atmosphere has more CO2 in it now, and that's that's the main factor that's keeping in some of this heat that's warming us up. And the other fact is they can tell the makeup of the CO2 by how much carbon-14 is, is present. And you find carbon-14 protein, protein, carbon in, you know, if a forest fire happens, you find it in that. But you don't find it in burnt oil. And the vast majority, from what I understand from what Brian was did in this video, the vast majority of the CO2 does not show any carbon-14, which is telling us that most of it is coming from oil, and whales aren't burning oil. Cows aren't farting oil in there. You know, it's, it's humans burning oil. So I'll link to that. You can check it out. Number three, UFOs are made up. Well, this one, well, there are hoaxes, but I think... UFOs are more, you know, they're unidentified flying objects. They are more likely mistakes people make, not understanding what they're seeing in the sky, not understanding how the atmosphere can affect uh, how things look in the sky, and, or they're misinterpreting something they've seen. I think it's more likely that's what UFOs are. They're just mistakes that people make. Uh, there's a reason why. The people who claim to see UFOs don't tend to have a lot of uh, of that uh, high percentage of astronomers making claims of seeing UFOs. There's a reason why, because astronomers, both professional and amateur, are trained to look at the sky and to, to understand what's going on up there. Because it's you know to be able to do astronomy properly, you have to understand what you're looking at and what how the atmosphere can affect what you see. Uh, you know, like coming from planets and, and whatever. You just you just understand what's going up in the sky. Even though people will say, well, pilots are trained. No, they're not trained to look at the sky. They're trained to look at their instruments, and then they're trained to fly a plane. They're not trained to observe what's going on in the sky. Uh, and neither are police. You know, these, so, you know, there's a reason why astronomers aren't high in, in the list, uh, in the percentages of people who've seen UFOs. Number four, conspiracy theories are fiction. Well, not all of them. I mean, 9-11 was a conspiracy. Uh, it, that's the thing about conspiracy theories, because there are conspiracies. So 9-11 was one. 19 hijackers, Al-Qaeda, Osama bin Laden, they all conspired to take down those, those buildings to do that terrorist act that they did. Uh, let's see. Uh, so, and I... And, uh, I've, I've said on Facebook that it does disappoint me when I find somebody that's a Facebook friend is a is a 9/11 truther, and I, I try not to argue with him anymore. If I put a comment in there, it's just simply sigh. Eh. 
and I got into it with a guy that I went to high school with, a very nice fellow from high school, very nice, but he's 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 not convinced. And I tried to give him some information, and then he, you know, when he asked about why did Building Seven fall down when it wasn't hit by a plane, well, it wasn't hit by a plane, but it was hit by the North Tower, and it set on fire, and the and the water mains didn't work, so there's no sprinklers to control the fire, so the fire burned for seven hours uncontrolled, and it collapsed after seven hours. That's what happened. And I gave him, you know, there's a video that uh, that I'll link to that you can check out. Uh, it's an updated video by Edward Cur- Current where he gives more information about what had happened. And, and it's, it's, you know, just watch it. It makes sense. But then his response, my friend's, high school friend's response was, was, you know, oh, oh, three buildings all just turned to dust. Well, no, they didn't turn to dust. And I started to write a response and I went, no, I'm not. I just wrote sigh. Number five, Oswald killed Kennedy. What, the VJ on MTV? That gal Kennedy, who's now a conservative uh, commentator on Fox? That Kennedy? Oh, no, no, no. (laughs) President Kennedy. Oh, yes. Yes. Yep. Lee Harvey Oswald killed Kennedy. And just Lee Harvey Oswald. All the evidence points to him. The anomaly hunting doesn't point away. It's just anomalies. It's just, it all points to him. So, yeah, that's true. Number six, the Earth is round. Well, it's actually a sphere that bulges in around the equator. But yeah, it's it's not flat. That's what he's saying there. It's not flat. So I mean, I I don't understand this whole flat Earth people thing. But hey, flat Earthers, explain why this in the southern hemisphere the moon looks like it's upside down from the way it looks in the northern hemisphere. How does that happen? Uh, let's see. Number seven, uh, men went to the moon and back. Yes, twelve men went up. Walked around on the moon and came back to Earth. Yes, absolutely. All the evidence points to that. Look for anomalies all you want. It's not going to change the fact that we, that that human beings have walked on the moon. Uh, let's see. Number eight. Religion is fiction. Eh, probably. I mean, they you know, they can't all be true. All these religions that have existed, one of them might be, but they can't all be. I, you know, I tend to agree that they're fiction, but, you know, being an, an atheist, I don't believe in a God, and I don't believe in in religions, with the, te- the teachings of religions, I don't, I don't, um, you know, the, the at least the magic part of it, you know, being good to each other, I agree with that, but just the magic stuff of it, nah, a giant flood that killed all the, it killed everything on the face of the earth, and somehow, after a year and a half, plants started growing again i don't what huh anyway i mean you, you cover something you cover plants in water for a year and a half plants that aren't supposed to be in water they will die and then when you take the water away they won't come back they'll be dead anyway and then number nine there are no gods and again probably now i'm an atheist but i'm an agnostic atheist which means i don't know for sure i don't believe that there are but i you know, but there's no God. And number 10, humans will go extinct. Oh, man. <laughs> Let's end this list on a high note. Uh, you know, probably again. I, I, you know, I, the sun will burn out in about 4 billion years, 4.5 billion years, something like that. And it will, cons- it, will, it will expand as it does so, and it will co- consume the earth. It will burn it right up. So anything living on this planet at that time will be gone. And humans would be long gone by then. We will have evolved into some other species or gone extinct completely. Who knows? But maybe we'll learn how to you know, be able to travel through space and, and colonize things. We'll, we'll leave. We won't be on Earth long before this happens. But yeah, the idea that uh, we'd still be around. Yeah, some people talk about the singularity, that the, the merging of human beings with artificial intelligence or something, and somehow that will be our next step in evolution i don't know but yeah i can i can agree that uh humans will probably be extinct or whatever this branch that we're on in the evolution shrub whatever that's winding its way into the future ending up where you know and it never really ends up somewhere but you know just heading toward whatever happens uh, the the branch that has us on it currently Wherever that goes, I mean, we probably won't be on it the whole time. At some point, we're going to change. So I, I agree that uh, we'll, we, we, maybe we won't go extinct exactly, 
well, but maybe it evolved into something else. Is that being extinct? Huh. I don't know. I mean, the dinosaurs are extinct, but they're not because birds are here. And birds come from dinosaurs. All right. Uh, what time? How much time have I got here? Uh, I don't have much. Um, I'm going to give a movie recommendation. This is from 1952. It is a musical. It's Singing in the Rain. I finally saw it all the way through. I'd seen bits and pieces of it. And I'm usually not a musical guy. But this one, I thought it was I thought it was pretty good. I thought it was entertaining. I liked the music. The dancing is, is really well done. And I was very struck by how talented these people are uh, and how practiced they are, how much rehearsing had to go into this, how much work they have to do to be good at it. Gene Kelly, uh, Debbie Reynolds, and Donald O'Connor. They, they were, it's just, it, it, Gene Kelly was amazing to watch. Uh, I've watched some stuff with Fred Astaire. Boy, I'm telling you, it's amazing to watch too. Because these guys and, and the gals that do this dancing, Ginger Rogers, and they make it look effortless. Now, Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers are not in Singing in the Rain. And Singing in the Rain is a fascinating film because it's, it tells the story of the transition in Hollywood film making from silent to sound. Uh, and the invent, inventing musical films uh, that kind of tells that story a little bit, uh, and it has it has a a number in there. Uh, I guess it's known as the Broadway melody melody part, which is uh, it's an enactment. It's a dance routine, dance and song, singing routine that is enacted as a part of uh, Gene Kelly's character describing to the head of the studio how they're gonna do this fix a film by making it a musical and the scene and he's describing it and it's it's about 10 minutes this this routine and you know how i said you know musicals tend to bother me because a lot of them it feels like the story is put on hold while they do a musical number and i didn't feel that watching singing in the rain even through this 10 minutes of of this 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 singing and dancing uh routine uh you know with a gotta dance that's what gene kelly starts a gotta dance and there's all these people dancing and you just watch these people that's the choreography is great the, the no gene kelly has to know where to hit his marks and the cameras have to follow just right and the crew it's just the coordination effort is amazing and uh <clears throat> and then uh, there's it, it, within that there's a little ballet that between uh, Gene Kelly uh, and and Sid Charisse. <laughs> Sid Charisse. Hey, wow. Uh, maybe that's part of the reason why I wasn't so bothered by it because she was in a good deal of it. She's not just in the ballet part, but she's also in another dance part of it. And let me tell you, Sid Charisse. <laughs> when her legs show up, oh boy. <laughs> I know, but it was uh, she. She was a, she. She was something, and uh, and she certainly was more entertaining to watch than than a grizzled uh, Albert Finney playing S Scrooge as he's shambling through the dirty old streets of 19th century London. <laughs> I think I'd rather watch Sid Charisse. <laughs> so uh, it's it's in a it's a really good film. Uh, you know the songs are great, and of course it has the singing in the rain routine where everybody's seen that. But it, it's just it, you notice how the camera works, how it follows these guys, and how there's a there's a scene in there where Gene Kelly is dancing and singing to uh, to Debbie Reynolds, and she's standing up on a ladder at some point, and he does this circle around the room where part of it takes him right past the ladder, and he has to know where to move so he doesn't run into the ladder. He's got to lip-sync the song he's singing. Of course, they're not actually singing. So he's got to do that and make that look right. And he's got to do the moves. It's just amazing. And Donald O'Connor does his make, it laugh, make him laugh number, and he's got to hit the timing right. And he's, you know, again, lip-sync it. And Debbie Reynolds has her, you know, uh, you know she, doesn't, she does the dancing and singing along. But it's just, it's really something. To watch it, and uh, and I don't know if it'll, it'll turn me on musicals. I don't know because I was watching the Mojo's, you know, watch Mojo's the top ten musical dance routines, and most of them were newer movies. Uh, didn't do much for me, but you know they showed a bit of uh, a West Side Story. I don't think I'm going to be able to get into that. <laughs> I just don't think it's going to work for me. Oh, and by the way, Rita Moreno 
who was in West Side Story, is also in Singing in the Rain. She's not in it much. She's a small bit, but she's in there. So anyway, check out Singing in the Rain if you've never seen it. It's worth it. And uh, Citrice, let me tell you. Three cool things before I get too far over here. Um, number three, three cool things that happened for me this weekend. Uh, at the comic book store, a customer came in, a nice fellow who's pretty close to my age, I think. He he found a comic book. He had never purchased uh, an original uh, comic book uh, of Spider-Man, early days of Spider-Man, drawn by Steve Ditko. And Steve Ditko was one of those artists, along with uh, Jack Kirby and uh, and the, and Stan Lee writing, that created the Marvel Universe, the look of the Marvel Universe and the characters. He actually created the Spider-Man costume. And, 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 and so this guy comes in. He would buy reprints of these old stories, but here he finally bought this one, and he was so excited about it. It was really, it was fun to see that, see a guy that just was having a good time, and uh, and I uh, I mentioned to him that I write a blog for the story, and he says, oh, you write that? <laughs> I read that, and he shook my hand, and I said, oh, well, and I, in his honor, I said, every, first Thursday of every month, I do a great what I think is a great cover, and I spotted the one that he was buying, and I just stopped and looked at it because it caught my eye, and I thought, "Well, oh, that's a, that's a nice cover." Not Steve Ditko is not one of my favorite artists, but he does have his moments, and that's a really good cover. He's he's a good artist. It's just that his style doesn't really do much for me. But every now and then, I see something, I go, "Wow, pretty good." So I said, "You know what? In for you, I will do this cover uh, next week or this past Thursday," and I did. Uh, number two. Uh, speaking of comic books, the boss came in. He was in his warehouse, and he found this, you know, he's going through some stuff there, and he gets this long box of comic books, which can hold up to about, I don't know, 250, 300 comic books, depending on how big they are and if you bag and back them. But uh, he he said there was about, uh, you know, a third of the box was some not too shabby, as far as value goes, comic books. And he was showing us through them, and one of them was X-Men, Giant Size Number 1 from 1975. Now, if you're not a comic book collector and a fan of the X-Men, that may not mean much to you, but that was the first issue where they introduced the new lineup of this superhero group of mutants, uh, the X-Men. And it included the Wolverine in that, in that group. And at that time, Wolverine wasn't the biggest, most popular character. Uh, and in fact, he was not, you know, he, he was underutilized in the first several issues of this, this new character or this new lineup of X-Men. And then a new artist came in and working with the writer, the two of them revamped Wolverine and made Wolverine the popular character where he is now the star of the X-Men in the movies. So that comes in. And it's in pretty good shape. It's considered good, which isn't, you know, if it was in the highest level shape, that would be quite a bit of money. But in good shape, the boss put a price on it of 500 bucks. And I don't know if it's been sold yet, but we put it up on, uh, to show it on Facebook to, for folks to, hey, look what, look what we got. And number one, the most cool thing of the week for me was I've gotten a commission to draw, speaking of comic books, to draw a Marvel uh, character, Marvel Comics character, their swamp creature called Man-Thing. Uh, my friend Michael said uh, he asks comic book artists to draw Man-Thing for him, and he would like he would like me to do so. Uh, we haven't negotiated price, but I'll I'll be nice for him. But uh, it's it's given me a chance to exercise my comic book drawing muscles. Well, I hope that you've had at least three cool things happen to you this week, and. Uh, you're going to hear this. Good night, Adolfo. That's right. Good night, Frau Blucher. Well, got to the end of another show. Thank you for indulging me in my art school stories. Hopefully you found some interest in them. Be skeptical and extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. I'm your host, Jim Dr. Dem Fitzsimmons, reminding everybody out there to sleep with the lights off. check out my show notes at dimland.com. Just click on the blog option and you can email your questions and comments to drdim at dimland.com. That's D-R-D-I-M at dimland.com. 
And the opening theme song, Ram, is by Theolius and is used with permission. Production of the Z Talk Radio Network. What did you think of tonight's installment of Dimland Radio? Wow. Wow. My life, you're clever, Dim. It's certainly taken me in. Well, well I'm going, I'm going to hell. To hell.